Welcome to One Stop Shop, a weekly podcast that helps ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs learn from the best. Brought to you by Convergio. To learn more about managing all of your e-commerce tools, channels, and strategies from one dashboard, visit Convergio.com. In today's episode, we talk to Kate Adams from Thankly. One day, while she was at the post office, Kate Adams started to feel frustrated. All she wanted to do is send a handwritten thank you note to someone, and now she's wasting her lunch hour waiting in a long line. That's when she had the idea to change the way we give gratitude by making it simple and quick while maintaining the handwritten, personalized aspect. Her simple tweak is what separates her store from all the gift and gift card stores, but it comes with its own challenges too. In this episode, we chat with Kate about creating a unique, scalable, consistent quality product, even when the product is essentially handmade. Hi Kate, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, So Kate, we obviously want to talk about thinkly.com.au, but to start, can you tell us what is Thinkly in a nutshell? Yeah. Thankly is a, a website that actually helps people connect with other people through handwritten cards and gifts of gratitude that they can send within three minutes from their phones or their computer. So, so that's in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say cards, handwritten cards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So, what, else, what else does it provide? Yeah, so um, you, people can either send a gift with their card, but um, um, I guess our unique part is that we actually do send handwritten cards. So we don't use any fonts. We actually just use humans that actually write someone's card. So you can actually send – people can choose their handwriting, they choose their ch- style of card, and they choose a gift, and then they're able to, to order that from their phone or their computer. When you say choose handwriting, like, so you have, mm-hmm. I'm assuming the person that's buying chooses the handwriting, but you obviously have the person that does, that's associated with that handwriting that's like in line. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. So generally, um, you'll find that most people that are really good at handwriting actually can write in, in different styles of handwriting. So, you know, we, we try and keep it to a style, I guess, probably more than anything, but everyone can actually do every style. So. It's, um, there's, there's slight variance on that. And so that might be something like cursive or it might be print or it could be capitals. But, yeah. And then how, so, how important is that to your client base? So it was actually – it's very an interesting part, actually, because I um, we really try and aim to keep things as personal as possible. So what the aim of the game is is that the recipient on the other end potentially may not know whether – whether you wrote it or you didn't write it, write the card. So I guess adds that level of personalization. And there's been a couple of times where um, the question has been raised around like scalability, like how do we actually, how do we actually manage that challenge and going forward? And we thought, you know what, maybe actually the handwritten card, maybe we can actually end up going to a font and actually end up using, you know, a computer generated um, writing that actually looks like handwriting. But the feedback that we've had is no, no, we can't do that. Um, people love it because um, they see the value, I guess, in a handwritten card. And for some reason, unless you use pen and ink, people just don't see the same value um, in a card as what they do if it is handwritten. 
Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. So it must just be um, that they see that there's been, you know, value in the time that it's taken to write it and they said the words, it's probably. Kate, I'm, I'm curious uh, because my handwriting is, is horrible and it's been that way for as long as I can remember and I've given hope. <laughs> I've given up hope, honestly, and I'm prevent seriously, I don't I, I'm one of those people who took notes in, you know, college and university. I would take notes and then I would go back and I'm not able to read my own handwriting. And it's <laughs> it's really that bad. How is your handwriting? My handwriting is really good. Okay. And actually What's the secret? Well, it's only just because obviously I um, have done so many university degrees and I studied in a day when, you know, we still were writing notes. And I remember actually halfway through my law degree, I was like, you know, my handwriting was beautiful. So Mm -hmm. I used to go into exams and just write and write and write. So I think it's about practice more than anything. Yeah, I have only one university degree and two majors, so I think I might need to get a couple more <laughs> degrees and maybe practice a little more. That's the secret. All right, cool. So tell us about your life before Thankly. Yeah, I guess um, I always, I've always had a really diverse range of interests. And I, I guess I always thought, oh my goodness, this is so, so problematic. You know, what am I going to choose? And I think actually becoming an entrepreneur for me was actually just a natural progression because it was an area that I could actually combine everything and you can you know, wake up in the morning and you don't really exactly know what you're going to get. So I love that about it. It keeps me challenged and it keeps me learning. So I guess you could, you could call me addicted to learning. I was always, you know, onto my next whatever thing that might be. So I started my profession. I'm actually a vet. It's quite interesting in Australia. I also own the Bondi Veterinary Hospital, which you may not know or not know. And so I started my career as a vet and I actually then moved into a few other areas. So finance and they went and got a commerce degree and a law degree and did those things for roughly about 10 years. I left my corporate job in about 2014 now. And everyone said to me, you're mad. What are you doing? You've got a really good corporate job. My parents, that was. And I went and did my own thing. So I I haven't looked back and I definitely would not go back to a corporate role. Our listeners, I do want to share that it's about 6 or 6.30 a.m. right now in Australia for Kate and you know, the minute I learned that you were waking up that early, that's that's one of the perks of having a business that you love and care about is that you don't need to be kicked in the butt to wake up yeah, that early because you have something to look forward to, right? Now, if you were well, doing you know, a job, then, yeah. Well, I think work and life just seem to be, people to often talk about balance, you know, you know, making sure that there is enough balance. And I always think, I'm not sure that there's any balance in my life, but definitely I think that work and life, they just become one. So mm-hmm. I never, ever wake up in the morning and feel like I have to go to work. Um, There's no resentment. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I, even if I had a billion dollars, I still would be doing exactly the same thing as I'm doing. Oh, that's, that's a fabulous place to be in, honestly. All right, so you did all these things, you know, uh, law and, and, and vet, and you did all of these different things. So how did you end up with this particular business idea? I guess it was something that I carried forward in that, you know, I'd always been, I'd always thought that my mother, she was very big on thank yous. I guess as a family, we were always made to sit down and write out to, you know, the older people or, 
um, adults that the importance of a thank you and I guess I carried that into adulthood and I I used to send thank yous all the time. So that just might be a card, but I also used to send flowers if someone did something nice for me or what I would do is just send like a small gift. Um, I found it just increasingly difficult just purely because of time. So for me, thankfully, it was actually just solving a problem that I had. And I remember being actually in the post office one lunchtime and it was I was in this line and it was about an hour long wait um, and that was just to get a stamp. So I was thinking, oh, my gosh, there has to be an easier way than this and why doesn't have someone actually why don't someone actually do this and why can't I do this in like three minutes and I could just be like bang, bang, bang and someone just send a card on my behalf. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do that. So that's how it started and it, it was just an idea and I actually attended a women's incubator day the following week and of course you may not know about the Australian startup community I, I got to this women's incubator day and of course there was actually no women pitching so the friend that had organized it she said to me Kate you have to pitch and I said to her I can't pitch like this was just an idea I don't actually have a business and she said no there's no one pitching and you'll be fine like you just be you and go and pitch so I actually remember walking up to the stage thinking I don't have a business name and me thinking like on the spot, oh my goodness, what am I going to call this? And I thought, okay, let's just call it Thank Lee. Sounds kind of techy. Let's just go with that. So I was just hoping that the domain was actually available by the time I got up there. So that was really quite funny. The guys on the panel, they they liked the idea. Um, they were asking me really hard logistical questions about the business. And I was like thinking, oh my gosh, I just thought of this like three days ago. So about a week after that, I had a call and um, the guys, one of the guys from the panel said, I think I've got your first client. And I was like, I said to him, mate, I, I'm just not ready for this. I don't even have a business. And he said, well, it's up to you. She, um, She's actually a CEO of a law firm and she actually just wants to have a chat to you about um, potentially doing handwritten cards on behalf of the law firm. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to look that gift horse in the mouth. I will just turn up and say yes and deal with the rest later so I remember even going and acting like me and my team I'd stayed up all night the night before making a brochure and and trying to get this together and by the time I walked out of that meeting she had ordered about three and a half thousand cards so I thought oh my gosh other people think this is a thing too so I guess that for me was my validation period so even before I had thankfully I used to just go out and sell it so I refined, I guess, what people wanted probably throughout the you know eight or nine months that it took me to actually build. So the website, I guess, just was the natural progression. And, and a lot of people ask me, like, how do you know that this is going to work? And I'm like, because I've already sold it. I already know that there's a market that wants this. So we actually do, do now both. We focus on both that B2B where people, you know, businesses that actually, you know, want to reach out to, to customers and, you know, the way I, I always think of this is that you've got email marketing and then you've got this other side where if you actually send someone something, you've got almost like 100% open rate. Like there's, it's this touch point that people often don't use anymore. And, you know, you, everyone opens their mail. Um, everyone opens something that they receive. Yeah, I guess that aspect of it, I think that it's just increasing a, a marketing touch point that isn't utilized well enough so 
B2B is, is one side of the, the business and then our other side of the business is our B2C. So that's obviously just individuals that think, oh, gosh, like that boss that wrote my, my reference or, you know, that teacher or that mentor that like spent, you know, an hour with me despite having like a multi-million dollar business. Like those people in everyday occasions, I wanted it to be that it was still, I guess, affordable enough but also accessible enough to people to use, like, I guess, on an everyday basis. So something that people, you know, sometimes there's, you don't want to send grandiose hampers or you don't want to send, like, a bunch of, like, 12 dozen roses because it's inappropriate or weird. So I wanted it as something where, you know, you could send something and it was relatively impersonal. So, for instance, like, one of our best-selling, we have lots of alcohol, obviously, but, you know, something like a Hugo Boss notebook or something that was really cool People really like the value, but also, you know, don't feel like as though when you sent it that you're going to be trying to crack onto them. So I still love that B2C market. Like I love it. That's what I do this for. And I still, when I see some of the things that go through, thankfully, I think, oh my gosh, that's so lovely. I think the biggest takeaway that I'm that I'm hearing from everything that you said, and there are a lot of things that I would comment on, but the one thing that I think is very important to stress here. When it comes to starting a business, sometimes we don't feel ready. It's almost like we're never really ready. And I think it's so important to, when you get the opportunity, like the one that you had, to just jump and just, you know, just take the leap because you really never find out if something is going to work or not unless you try it. Of course, you absolutely know, about investing crazy amounts of money or too much time. We always want to start with something small, but Starting small and messing up a little bit along the way, I think that very few mistakes are fatal, you know? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you get the opportunity, you really should, should jump on it. And you saw yeah. how you, like, kept repeating to yourself, but I don't have a business, but I don't have a business. But then, <laughs> you know, but, but then the, minute, but the minute you jumped on the opportunity, you have a business. You don't have to have a perfect business from the beginning. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone's ever ready. And I hear it so many times from other people. They, they say, oh, you know, I'm going to start this when, you know, in six months' time or once I get a little bit more experience. So... No, no, no one, I think, ever feels ready. And I think the point is is to actually think of, I guess, probably, you know, your entrepreneurial journey as a journey. You're, you are going to fail at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's very few people that don't. So I guess if you can learn to love love the journey rather than necessarily, you know, whether you, you, you win or you fail, I think that that's half the battle won. So I, I think if you can do it for a reason other than just being being scared of failure, then I think that you should people just, just should jump in and do it. And even if it fails, you learnt a whole lot of stuff along the way, as you guys would know. Like it's just, you know, how much you can actually learn in you know, the nine months of being an entrepreneur or, you know, a year of being an entrepreneur is, is what you would learn in a job in like, you know, literally like five or six, especially a corporate job. That is very true, especially a corporate job. Yeah, yeah, yeah because you do that, so many things. Yeah, yeah, and school. Totally. Before we transition, I had one more question on what you were talking about. How much of your business, just not money-wise, but percentage-wise, how much of your business is B2B versus B2C? So I guess we started out, all of our business was B2B. So because we, we were able to sell that without having the, the website, we were able to to actually sell the cards in bulk, I suppose. So our B2C market, like that's the whole reason I in, in, intended on ever creating, thankfully. And it's actually only been 
up since October 2016. So it's relatively new and we're still building that side of it. So in terms of percentage-wise, at the moment, we'd be sort of 80% business and 20% consumer. And I, I really actually want to change that. I think actually to, in the future, I would like to see this actually become more the other way and 80% like individuals. And there's been a few you know, people that have said, you know, really concentrating on that that business market in terms of profits is is better. But I actually think that there's there's a really large untapped market for individuals. So a lot of the time that when we're actually looking at, you know, our personas and our target market, there was people out there that actually wanted to actually be able to to do this. But quite often what happens is that you don't have the time and it is weird to send flowers. So you actually just don't end up sending anything or you actually end up sending an email, which just doesn't really cut it. So I think there's actually a really large untapped market of people that actually really do want to be able to say or send a, a bit of appreciation. So my B2C market is is the one that at probably 2017, 2018, I'll be focusing on the most. All right. So Overall, I mean, you definitely, even hearing you speak about it so far, it's not like you built just a gift shop or some sort of card store. You really have built <laughs> a, a business that's centered around more. It's centered around this giving of gratitude. And even your site says, like you have on there, reinventing gratitude. What do you feel like the fundamental difference is between sort of your hallmarks and these other card shops versus what you're doing, this idea of giving gratitude? You know, Jeff, I don't actually, um, I guess a lot of people, I, if I'm going to ever get any criticism, people say, yeah, but like it, the value of a handwritten card is because the person actually wrote it, not because it was actually someone else that wrote it. You can't actually, you can't farm this out and appreciate that that is a, a criticism. But I guess it's one of those things I think, but it's better than not sending anything at all. If everyone had the time and inclination to actually go down to the news agency, I don't know where you guys get them in the States, but in Australia we get them, we go down to the news agency and get a card and write in it and go and get a stamp. I, I definitely think that there's, you know, it's just as good as, as, as us. There is really no difference. I guess from my perspective, it's just the time that involved in actually doing it. And then when you're starting to talk about adding gifts to that, so that might be, you know, a bottle of, um, Negroni or Martini or something, when you start heading into that kind of territory, you think, oh gosh, now I have to like actually go and buy the gift and then I have to get some wrapping paper and then I have to get a card and it all yeah, becomes a very complicated the, process. I, I personally would rather go to the dentist than go to the post office in the US at least, honestly. It, it's the same in Australia, honestly. Like painful. It is yeah. so painful. And if you really don't have a stamp or you actually just want to send something, it's <laughs> it's a really long process. You end you up need spending a, day a lunch break. Yeah. yeah, you do. And I think um, one of the things that's difficult is I guess the value of a thank you, you know, it's all very well and good to talk about like gratitude and it's, you know, what it actually does from that perspective. But there's also this other part of thankly. And I often say, you know, it's almost like gifts that win friends and influence people purely for the fact that when you actually send a thank you to someone, like people remember that and it allows you to stand out in a crowd and being able to, to you know, get to that point where you actually see the value of a thank you is also the ability to be that one in a million person that um, people are never going to forget. And 
it's really important to have those brand advocates out there, like personal brand advocates. So it might be a year from now, it might be two years from now, and you, you never really know that if you send something to someone for doing something, even little, three or five years down the track, if I guarantee you that person, if you wanted to reconnect with that person and say, hey, would you mind writing my reference? Would you mind doing X? Like that, They'd be like, sure. So I think I guess the value in like harnessing relationships and being able to build those networks is another part of, of I guess, the value of Thankly. And I get, I, I think there's two types of people in the world. You know, every time I explain Thankly, people look at me like, huh? And those are the people, they just do not get thank you at all. They don't get, they think it's like, a, but why would you send somebody to say thank you to somebody? But then there are the other 50% of people that actually just as soon as they, they see it, they think, okay, I get it. It's a great idea. I'm going to go rogue on you for a second because we have a few more questions that are going to yeah. start to go into like the, the systems and stuff of how you're doing what you're doing. But I'm really curious on how if someone with your educational background and experience and clearly like you have a lot of uh, business credential and professional credential end up doing something that at face value seems really simplistic and I don't mean that as an insult. I actually think yes, it's really, I, really interesting. And like, how did that happen? Like, what is inspiring you? What is at the fundamental core that you're doing what you're doing? You know, I think that is as long as you believe in your business, I think that that's probably all that really matters. And, you know, when I say believe in it, I mean, it, I, I wanted to do something meaningful in my life. And I always have. And if you look throughout my career, I've always chosen areas that I feel are helpful and meaningful. So that for me was a big part of it. And as much as it sounds ridiculous, like I, for me, thankfully is really meaningful. And when I see someone write a card to, you know, their grandmother that they haven't sent a card to for like seven years, or it might even just be that, Hey, like, thanks for the referral. I see that as meaningful. And it's funny you should mention this because I used to work in my corporate job and I, you know, went and told my boss who, who I loved, I said, you know, this was, I was working in finance, actually, just over the road from um, Australian Stock Exchange. And I remember telling my boss, like, I'm going to, like, I think I need to leave because, like, I just want to start this thing. And he was like, you're leaving to start, like, a little card business? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess that sounds weird. And even to this day, when I still catch up with my old guys from work, like, quite often I still get, like, hey, Kate, how's your little card business going? And I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't think anyone realized that probably in my head, like, you know, I don't do anything by halves. Um, it may look like a little card business, but I think, you know, I'm already like at the end of this year, I'm going to try and get to Asia and hopefully eventually I'll get it to the States. So for me, like, no, I don't do anything by halves. And I think, yeah, like um, world domination is, is always in sight from the day I started. No, I love it. It's really cool. You touched on something too earlier that <laughs> advice I got a while ago from I have a few people that I look to for as mentors and one of them's been a pretty successful serial entrepreneur. And even when you were discussing moving into the, the customer space of that idea of just making it easier, where you said one of the criticisms is to have it sort of loses its meaning because you're not actually the person doing this thing. Mm. But one of the big pieces of his advice he gave me was don't ever compete on price. If you can make the thing easier, easy beats free or cheap every single time, hands down. And so the fact yeah. that you're taking something yeah. that has a, a sincere meaning to it and you're just making it accessible and quicker and faster for me to fit into my schedule and do and 
it's still it doesn't the, the thoughts behind it it's not like that's gone or i'm being a jerk about the whole thing but you just took that process and you made it simpler so i thought that was really neat too yeah and i and i think he's definitely right i think that uh, like when it comes to prices you know people don't actually really matter i mean otherwise we all wouldn't like use things like you know ubers and we wouldn't use all of those companies that we actually have come to use and it's just out of the fact that actually i think if you can solve a problem for people people don't mind if it's more expensive yeah no i agree with you and jeff on that i think at least for me personally i have many many times in the past have definitely seen products and services that were slightly or sometimes even considerably cheaper but the ease of doing something was very tempting honestly uh, like if the unless the price difference is huge i would you know like the ease of doing something is always mm. a, a you know a biggest the one of the biggest priorities when it comes to making that shopping decision because yeah. the last the yeah. last thing anybody would want to do like you said is is spend their whole lunch hour or maybe sometimes more than one hour at the post office to do that. I mean, it's just really discouraging. And so making and it accessible. And I think one of the, the other points is that there are lots of gift stores on the internet. So, you know, it, it could, and I always say, you know, we're actually not a gift store. We're actually more of a gift delivery service in that that's why I keep the product range really, really tight and really small. So we only ever have between 15 to 20 gifts at one point. They range between 30 to to $100 and they, they never go outside of that. And a lot of people say, like, when you build your gift range, like, as though I'm going to build my gift range. And I thought, no, I would never build my gift range. Like, we're not a gift store. And I think we run that risk of being seen as just a gift store that just doesn't have that many products. And I think, oh, my gosh, like, for me, when I visit an online gift store, I find it actually really complicated. And I think that um, too much choice leads to indecision. And it's almost this paradox that you end up having so many choices. You end up looking for like half an hour and then think, I don't know what to get. Mm-hmm. And then you just leave. Yeah. So, yeah. The other thing is is that I guess about the occasion. So, you know, if, if you go to a gift store, it might be because you've got an engagement present to buy for or it might be actually that you're like buying a present for your to your husband for your 10-year anniversary. So, and those are the occasions where like gift stores, online gift stores particularly are, are really great because you can actually find things that you wouldn't probably normally find by foot. Mm-hmm. And thankfully is definitely not that. Right. So I think as long as you know your market and who, who you're actually targeted to it is really helpful. It's helpful in terms of from a marketing perspective. So there's a lot of things we are, but there's also a lot of things that I'm like, no, we're not that. Like there's, there's heaps of other gift stores out there and yes, you know, like if you're, you're going to trawl through a website for an hour, you, you know, your partner's 10 year anniversary present, then I think that that probably warrants you trawling through a website for an hour. But that's why I try and keep the, the gift range really small. And, you know, once we're out of a product, we're out. So we keep it really tight and we replace the product, but another product actually has to go before that product can actually get on board rather than just adding to the range. And then also, you know, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that your main strength is the idea of handwritten notes or handwritten thank yous as opposed to the gift itself. It sounds to me like the gift is just a cherry on top or a nice gesture to add to the main thing, which is the thank you. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah, so. And the gift is actually it's it's really just a gesture that mm-hmm. goes with your card rather than necessarily anything else. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you think about gifting, I guess a couple of different like sort of price points that people think about. So generally speaking, if we're sending to yeah, like a mentor or a friend that helped you move on the weekend or the next door neighbor that looked after your cat for six weeks while you're in Europe. Mm-hmm. Those are the occasions like you generally do spend between sort of that sort of 30 to a hundred dollar mark. And there'd be very few people that would kind of go above that hundred dollar mark for those types of occasions. I'm not saying that there aren't though occasions where people would send thank yous that are a lot higher in value. So and I guess that's probably my next venture in that, you know, creating something like a sort of a thankly black type service where there's, you know, particularly as I mentioned, Asia, like relationship gifting is really, really big. And, you know, those guys do business based on relationships and their gifting is really exceptional. You know, they have like whole people that actually like run around and look for gifts for people. Since I've, I guess, been in this space, I've really – you know, I, I ran into this girl the other day and she said to me, you know, oh, my gosh, like I have 30 individuals, like high net worth individuals that I need to buy for. And it really got me thinking because I thought, wow, like there's these people that actually like have all they want in the world. They don't have things don't actually mean that much. And here's this person that's totally stressed over what they're going to buy. And I thought, honestly, like it actually probably doesn't really matter because what you would actually really like to be able to give to these types of people is time is something that that, that's what they would like, which you can't actually give them. And then the second thing is is that what's important to them and what's important to everyone at the very crux of of everything is actually relationships. So your relationships with other people, it doesn't really matter about the thing. When you have all the money in the world to buy stuff, what actually matters is is relationships. So I guess based on that kind of kind of premise you know you want to get something nice for someone but what you actually really want to do is actually be able to write a card that makes them see that they're valued and it's able to translate the gratitude and and the meaning and I think that's where that you have to have a card you know a four or five thousand dollar bottle of whiskey is not just going to cut it so speaking of that speaking of cards handwritten cards and handwritten thank yous um, I do want to talk to you about the business aspect of doing something like that because to me yeah. it sounds like it sounds like it's it is a handmade product in a sense. It may not be completely handmade in the sense that the card is handmade or the products mm-hmm. are handmade, but the main premise of the or the unique selling proposition is the handmade aspect of it. How do you address problems or potential problems like, for example, product consistency when? We're dealing with writing notes so often, so many of them. Like say the day that you got thousands of orders for one particular business and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to produce a consistent product that's always excellent handwriting or good at least handwriting that looks like what they have chosen on the website, especially the potential for human error in this case. You know? Yes. I mean, when we're dealing with machines, it's so much easier to predict what's going to happen because yeah. machines machines i mean you know how long they're going to run you know what they need but humans are so much more complex and this goes to even having employees not just handwriting but any entrepreneur with employees or dealing with relationships at work knows that there's so much out there that could influence the person and the quality of their work that's going on in their life that you don't know about sometimes something as as simple as lacking sleep for the night 
could mm-hmm. actually yep, harm their, their performance yeah. for the day. Yeah. So how do you deal with, with, with this kind of challenge in your business? So I suppose that the way that we usually manage this, and I guess we never really get to the, the volumes where we have to actually write all of the cards in one day. So I guess for the, the large corporate orders, we often have a little bit of time to be able to sort of stretch that out. So we often, with those ones, for example, we'll often match the handwriting to the CEO so that it really does look and feel like the CEO's handwriting. And then it's really about just making sure that there's there's some quality control um, over what we do. So one of the biggest things that I do find is actually where an individual, and it's usually individuals because obviously with businesses we've usually worked with them around creating, you know, a, a reasonably customised message and, uh, you know, there's sometimes some personalization in each of the cards because that's what's important. So in terms of, I guess, the corporates, usually the, the writers, like, actually have – you know, and sometimes a number of weeks to be able to complete that particular job. So for those types of things, we often actually be, are able to have, you know, a second person look over those before they actually go out. You know, we've obviously built this business around, I guess, making sure that there's quality and personalization. And the last thing you want to do is have it so that the person, the recipient gets a card that's like with their name spelt wrong or with the CEO's <laughs> name spelt wrong. Like that would be just absolutely awful. So absolutely. I guess like anything, like our reputation is based on, on making sure that it's right. So we do everything, you know, in our, in our power to make sure that that happens, especially on an individual level. You know, we do same-day delivery in Sydney. So um, there isn't that time to be able to then like dilly dally around and think, oh, I'm having a bad day today. I better not do, you know, too many cards. So it, I think it's actually just about having a rotating like staffing. So from my perspective, what we have done is everyone in the office can actually handwrite. So everyone's already, you know, in order to actually get a job at Thankly, like you have to be able to handwrite. I think the other thing that's also relevant here is, as you mentioned earlier, like your handwriting was really messy. A lot of people are like, oh, gosh, like my handwriting is so messy. Or, or they say to me, like, do you guys like do like script? And I think, well, no, we don't. The whole purpose of this is to make this feel authentic and to make this feel real. So people don't mind if the person's writing is slightly messy. Like, I mean, you don't want it to look like completely scrawl, but you all, and you don't want it to look like a six-year-old's writing, but <laughs> slightly messy, like, it, it. you know what? Like, most people actually write slightly messy. It's not perfect. Right. So I think there's forgiveness in, in that. One of the things that I see, which is probably one of our biggest problems from an operational standpoint, is actually that the person who's composed the message, like from their phone, for example, has actually left a spelling mistake or left a punctuation error. It's really delicate. I used to think that the handwriting card part of the job would be really easy and that you could get someone that was, you know, quite junior to actually do that job. But actually, no, it's it's a really hard job. You have to be able, you know, you've got a good understanding of the English language. You often actually see people write these horrendous mistakes and you think they cannot send this to, you know, the, the CEO of PayPal and not have someone correct this. So in those those instances, like we, re- the person actually requires a lot of discretion in that, you know, it might be that we try and call the person and say, hey, like, did you actually intend to write 
this, this spelling mistake, but sometimes we're not able to contact them and we just have to say, make a call and just say, okay, like I don't think we should put that in. So that is a really tough part of the job. But in terms of actually, I guess, like the, the style or I guess the messiness or the of the handwriting, it, it's always neat really. But, it, you know, in terms of it, it definitely happens by the end of the day. Like people have like sore hands and they, you know, have a different, probably their, their writing has changed. But I don't think that necessarily matters. So consistency in the product, I don't think that it needs to be consistency. I don't think because you know, handwriting is different and it doesn't really matter if it is something that looks real because I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. And one of the interesting parts of this is I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, going and seeing this CEO that had ordered this two and a half, that you know, a, a lot of cards basically. And it was funny because when I actually, I had to actually myself handwrite all of those cards and with her, I actually worked around um, actually choosing a style of handwriting that she wanted for her to represent her company. And I guess since that day, I, I have learned so much about handwriting in that you can tell someone's gender. Um, you can often tell roughly um, how educated they are. You can often tell where they grew up and you can also tell what generation they're part of. So, for example, someone over the age of 60 has a very different writing to someone who may be sort of in their 30s. And often those whole generations actually have very similar handwriting. So, they, you know, even though there's a slight deviation between people, there's actually most of them actually look fairly similar. So we, but the CEO that, that had chosen this handwriting, it was really funny because I sort of put to her a whole bunch of handwriting samples and I'd hoped that potentially I had a couple of I, – I utilised stay-at-home mums as a, as a workforce. They were – really flexible and they were easy to mobilize and it was something that they could do from home. So I put a whole bunch of samples together around which one she wanted to actually choose. And I thought, you know what, I'll chuck mine in there just to give it a little bit of diversity. Mine was by far the messiest. Like mine actually really does look like a doctor's handwriting. And, you know, it, it was, it would have been like four minutes of her looking at them and she was like, no, I want that one. And I was like, that's like the doctor scrawl. And she was like, obviously it was my handwriting. And I was like, don't choose that one. My goodness, now I have to write all these cards. But, yeah, she chose she chose mine and it was the scrawliest of all of them. And it was a good lesson in that, you know, people don't want it to look like that the 19-year-old PA wrote it. They want to make it feel like they wrote it. So to, to wrap things up, it's really clear just from listening to you tell your story with the business and then even going to the website that you guys have something that's unique. What do you feel like your favorite strategies are or tools to help communicate that brand value and the generate interest in what you're doing? Yeah, I, you know, it's something actually that I think traditional marketing techniques particularly haven't, like they don't help us. And if anything, they actually hinder us and they put us back into the gift shop type category. So one of the things that I'm really big on is storytelling and being able to communicate the story behind the brand because I think quite often people are brought along, um, particularly with a startup. And I think if you make it lovable and inclusive, people feel like they want that business to win and they will forgive the very small things that happen. So quite often a lot of the, the people that we see, we just see repeat. We, re we see repeat more than anything else. So um, things that work really well for us are video that allows us, I guess, then to be able to tell our story. And also, you know, why Thankly is a bit different 
whereas something just like a, a static picture, it, it, we look like a gift store. So I try and avoid those things. So I think where there's that dynamic interaction, whether it be video or press PR, so where someone does either a blog or like, for instance, a web a podcast, I think that that's the most, you see the most value from those types of things. When you say video, Kate, can you elaborate on that? Like, do you show yourself and the rest of your staff or what's generally, what kind of content do you have in those videos? We kind of actually concentrate on on two types primarily. So I guess the first type is actually really like, you know, someone wrapping a gift so they can actually see what Thankly is about because quite often people are like, huh? So seeing, you know, actually, you know, you can send a gift in three minutes. It's super easy. But then I guess there's the other side of of it, which is sometimes we might have what we always term, I guess, like a hero video. And quite often we won't actually, it's not an ad as such. And it's actually just something that we think is, we, we don't even actually try and push, thankfully, those types of videos for us are like brand awareness videos. We have done one, which is, you know, you know, me talking about the brand itself and, and, and how we started and so forth. But actually a lot of the time we might do just a hero video where it might be like, you know, people, people saying like what they're grateful for, who they're grateful for. So I guess videos that, you know, I, to some extent touch the heart, you know, are very shareable and likable um, and don't necessarily say, hey, like send, send a thankly. They don't necessarily scream that. And what they are just about, you know, one of the, the things that I'm so massive on is how like gratitude relates to to happiness or even a measure of success and I often say you know you're not a product of what you know it's who you know and it's been like shown time and time again through you know Malcolm Gladwell's outliers to you know Sean Acor's you know happiness and work they all kind of go back to one thing like one of the three killer pillars of happiness and a happy life is gratitude so being able I guess to be able to relate I guess happiness and gratitude to actual success is what we try and do in all of our I guess you know viral videos well thank you for sharing that we really appreciate um learning more about about Thankly and we knew it was going to be interesting but after talking to you and, <laughs> and hearing all this it sounds it's, it sounds even clearer right now and thank you for sharing your tips if I could send you a thing I'll have to like we actually don't oh. do international at the moment but I will <laughs> yeah I'll have to wait yeah so you said <laughs> you said you're going to when are you hoping to open up in Asia and in the United States for our listeners because most of our listeners are in the U.S. right yeah so I guess U.S. is definitely it has to be on our list like I, it, my aim in life has always been to like get to San Francisco. So I think really it's just about or New York. But 2017 is the year that I need to go obviously and look for capital and get some investment. And we, we need that to be able to give us, I guess, take us to the next level and, and give us the growth that we need. So once that happens, we will definitely be entering other markets fairly shortly after. Yeah, please, please do. You know, in the United States right now, we might be slightly divided by politics, but one thing that unites us as as a nation is our hate for the post office. I think we can all agree. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to need a business like yours. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for, for having me. Thank you. Really good. <laughs> this is great. Thank you. One Stop Shop is a production of Convergio. Learn how to manage all of the marketing tools, channels, and strategies that you need from one dashboard by visiting Convergio.com. 
This podcast was produced in partnership with Come Alive Creative. For help building, improving, and marketing your e-commerce store, visit comealivecreative.com. To listen to more episodes or to give us a rating, please visit convergio.com forward slash iTunes. Thank you.